Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Ken, and I am the campus pastor in Prescott Valley. So I want to give a big shout out to all of those of you who are joining us at Glassford Hill Middle School, and then to those of you who are joining us online whenever, wherever, and all of you in the room, thank you for worshiping with us and starting your week off here at Quad City Christian Church. It's an honor. To- uh, if this is one of your first times visiting either campus and you would like to uh, have a word with ministry staff, the place to do that here. As you exit the auditorium, hang a left. There's Pastor's Point. There's a sign that'll say that. And in Prescott Valley, just look for the high top tables, pass the donuts and the coffee, head over there. Our ministry staff will be there to meet you. And here we are, we're in Romans, and we've been doing Romans since August. So if this is one of your first few visits, woe to you, because there ain't no catching up at this point. Unless you take a few days off work and you want to binge everything, put it on double speed, something you could catch up. This is like week 36, 37. We have three chapters to go and getting into chapter 13. uh, This is the chapter, at least the start of it. Today's text instructs the followers of Jesus, citizens of the kingdom of God on how to deal with the empire, right? How to deal with the Roman empire. Uh, Please allow me. There's a, there's a rocky history between the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and the city of Rome. Uh, so there's a rocky history for them. That means there'll be a rocky future, a present and future at the time of the writing, for the church. When we look back at history, it appears that the Jews were expelled in 39 BC, so long before Jesus even shows up. Uh, we know that they were expelled in 19 AD, and then again, when Claudius expelled the Jews in roughly 49 AD. And that's a tidbit of history that you'll find in your Bible, Acts chapter 18, you could read that. But it's always nice, extra biblical evidence and the Bible corroborate. It just gives me confidence for the books that I read. Now, what we can ascertain, it looks like Claudius probably expelled the Jews from Rome because of conflict in the church. Not that he cared about conflict in the church, as he wanted order and peace in his kingdom, peace on Let's keep in mind, most of the early church was Jewish. So the natural question arose that when you became a follower of Jesus, especially if you were not a Jew, do you have to follow the law of Moses? That's a, that's a fair question. That question was in, in the book of Romans, it was in the church in Rome, and throughout wherever the Jews 
And the faithful law-abiding, Torah-observant Jews who followed the law of Moses, they would, of course, they would take the position, of course, you have to follow the law of Moses. We've always done that. Why would we do anything different? And the thinking goes that this created such a commotion in Rome, the Torah-observant Jews and the non-Jewish Christians. And it created such a ruckus that Claudius like, you people got to go. Like your worship of this one God and you don't practice our polytheistic belief. Just get out of here. I need some peace. Go. And then by the time Paul writes this letter, it's 50 AD. Claudius has been dead for three years. Nero's on the throne. So the people are coming back and they have a new king on the throne uh, and a new governing authority. And it's under these circumstances that Paul pens this letter. So today... We're going to read Romans 13, 1 through 7. And as we August, would you please stand with us if you're able? And we will, you can open your Bible. You can turn on your Bible app. You could look in the, in the booklet we have. But Romans 13, we're going to start with the word of the Lord in verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from, the, from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. On what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. God, thank you so much for your word that guides us as we strive to love you and follow your son. And I pray that we would be a people that follow your son through the thick and thin, the stuff that's easy, and especially the stuff that's hard. I pray that today we will leave with a conviction to apply your word in every area of our life. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So that was, that's the scene, right? Back to Rome after being exiled for years. And if you, with this passage, if you'll allow me a moment of full disclosure, I really don't like these verses. I don't mean I don't really like them. I mean, I really don't like them. I now, towards the libertarian, almost like anarchist, like what do we need government for anyway? Uh, you know, live free or die. Don't tread on me. Give me liberty or give me death. Ron Paul was right. Like, I just kind of roll in that direction. One, to be subject to the governing authorities. I don't, know if, I don't know if you've noticed, but we were a nation that was born in rebellion. It is in our national fabric to throw off tyrannical rulers. Just look at excerpts from our Declaration of Independence. Whenever any form of government 
productive to, of these ends. What are the ends? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. It is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute a new government. When a long train of abuses and usurpations, it is their right, it is their duty to throw such government. Yes, yes, yes. Grab my musket, my water skin, Katie bar the door. Let's go. I'm on. I read this and I'm like, I read the past. I'm like, surely, surely Paul cannot our country. He had no concept of a representative democracy. He wrote that under the absolute rule of a sovereign king. We are the United States of America. It's on our money, like in God. We Have you heard? It's one nation under God. We sing God bless America. In America, we do not subject ourselves to governing authorities. They subject themselves to us, to we, the people. Want to believe. That is how I want to operate. But that is not what I am called to do as a follower of Jesus. Paul doesn't give any one of us an out because we live in a representative democracy. Direction. Direction about what our relationship as citizens of the kingdom of God, of Jesus's kingdom, our relationship to the empire, the ways of this world. So we're just going to walk through these passages and see what that looks like. Let's go right here. Verse one, let everyone governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, right off the bat, we don't like this, especially because of this word, right? We've, we don't like to be subject to anyone. We were nation born. We were subjects to the empire. We're going to come back to this first line later, right? Like we're going to come back to this very offensive line. I think we need to, we need to walk through. We need to walk through some of this so we know what to do with this. So we're going to walk through the rest of the passage. And we'll come back to verse. Now, what I notice here is that Paul says twice, there's no authority except that which God has established. And for people like me who are a little slow or stubborn or hesitant, he reiterates himself, the authorities that exist have been established by God. He to be honest, I don't want to believe Paul. I don't want to believe that God is responsible for those who are in authority. And to be quite frank, I don't believe it until I read. Example, example, after example, after example of God doing the very thing which Paul says. Here's a brief history. It starts with Moses, who was the first person called by God to lead Israel. Israel was, they were, the Jews were slaves. Any lead these people out from under the thumb of Pharaoh. You're going to lead my people to freedom. And Moses does this for 40 years. And then Joshua, who's called by God, said, Moses, you're going to die. Joshua's going to take over for you. Get him ready. So that was, that was the plan. God called Moses. God called Joshua. And then 
Obadiahs, the leaders of Israel were referred to as judges. Don't think like black coat and the, you know, the counter, the table. They, it's not that kind of judge, but they were the leaders and all of them were called by God. And then the people of Israel get to the point where like, look, we want a king. We don't want the judges, but we want a king. And God said, all right, I'll give you a king, but I'm picking him. And it's Saul, son of Kish. He's going to be king. You read about him in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Then by the time you get to chapter 16, God's like, I'm done with Saul. I'm calling Jesse, the son of David. He's going to be the new king. Small sampling. And then I'm reading these and I'm like, well, that's kind of to be expected because these are the people who are leading God's people, right? It's for all effective purposes. These guys led the church. Okay, they led God's people. So what about the pagan kings or the Gentile kings? Well, I've got three examples of Egypt, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and King Cyrus of Persia. These guys had no interest in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were not monotheists. We know Pharaoh was, you know, they had the sun God, the river God. They have all kinds of gods. When God mentioned, he said, hey, you're going to leave my people out of Egypt. Here's what you're to tell Pharaoh. God says, but I, God, have raised you, Pharaoh. I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, you God, you think you're a God? No, you're there because I put you there and you're going to display my glory to all the world. That's one example. And then you got King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. They came and they ravaged Israel and they drug people away to slavery. You might read in your Bible about the Babylonian. And then after the Babylonian empire, along came the Persians in Isaiah chapter 45. You'll read where God says, look, Cyrus, I've called you by name. I'm going to put you, I've got a job for you to do. These men had nothing to do with God. One thing I love about when Nebuchadnezzar is taught in, in the book of Daniel, he has about something that's going to happen to him. He doesn't know it's about him until Daniel comes and explains it. But I love how he describes what the messenger of God in his vision said. So this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, but he's reiterating the words of a messenger of God. This is the decision announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. Case closed, done. This is the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to any he wishes and sets them, sets over them the lowliest of people. I think we all agree with that last line. Like, yeah, yeah, over us is the lowliest of people. This is what a messenger who sees God, whoever this messenger is, uh, Nebuchadnezzar described him as glorious. Says this is a verdict. I give everybody there. I choose. I set the kingdom. I set the king. I set the leaders. But what really convinces me is Jesus and his conversation with Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Israel, that area representing the Roman crown. And this Jesus was tried, tried, trial, convicted. And then Pilate's the one that has to carry out the execution. And Pilate's trying to have a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus isn't really cooperating. Pilate's like, where do you come from? Are you a king? 
power either to free you or to crucify you? And then Jesus answered him. And Jesus says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you, given to you from above. You would have no power. Why does Pilate have authority? Why does Pilate have power? Well, he is the authority in Judea. He has authority over everyone in that land. Pilate represents the sovereign Caesar of Rome, and Pilate has authority because God gave it to him. Jesus tells me that the authority is given by God, then I should yield my thinking and my belief to the guy who rose from the dead. Let me put it this way. When what I believe or prefer conflicts with what Jesus says, I yield my belief and preferences to Jesus. What I believe and what I prefer conflict with what Jesus says, I yield my belief and preferences to what Jesus says. This is how we're supposed to operate as followers of Jesus. None of us rose from the dead. We might've been reborn, but he literally physically did it. And so when what can feel conflicts with what Jesus says, thinks and feels, then I'm just gonna let him, he's the boss of me. That's how, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Not just believing information. It's believing Jesus and doing what he says. All right, so let's go back into our text now. In verse two, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. He keeps up with this theme. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So Paul asserts that rebellion against authority leads to judgment. And we see this all the time, right? This is not, nothing new to us. We don't need to spend a lot of time. Because if you rebel, if you or I rebel against the established authority, in such a manner that we break the law, well, what happens? You get arrested, okay, you, you get charged, you get prosecuted, and then you're either acquitted or found guilty of this charge. Rebellion will bring judgment. But I guess you, got, you do have to get caught, so there's that. Uh, but then Paul gives us practical reasons to subject ourselves. So we're gonna, in kind of rapid succession, Go through verses three, four, and five. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. You experience this all the time. Well, I know I do. When you're driving, I kind of pass Costco and before Valley, yeah, Diamond Valley, and it's 45. I don't know why it's a 45. It should be like a 75. So I, I do like 65 and I feel great about it as long as I don't see YCSO or Prescott PD. I, I am free from fear of the one in authority until I see them. I'm like, ooh, brakes. Let me just get. That's a small, simple thing, but it's, it makes the point, right? If just do what's right and I don't have to be in fear of the one in authority. Why? Why should we do what is right? For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For bear the sword for no reason. Like you probably have done this with your kids. Yeah, if you do wrong, you should be afraid. But if you don't, you're fine. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of 
but also as a matter of conscience. So the fact of the matter is that this statement, these three verses are not always true. They are generally true. For the most part, nobody's getting arrested for being kind, for helping their neighbor, the hungry, for giving water to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, maybe the foreigner or the alien, for clothing the naked, serving the homeless, caring for the sick, visiting those in prison, you know, all those things that Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 that we're supposed to do and we're going to be judged by. Right? This is what he tells us. For the most part, no one's getting in trouble for doing those things. For the most part, when it comes to governance, we get along. We follow the speed limit, usually. We pay our taxes, register our car, get the dog license, feed the parking meter, buy- follow the terms of our probation, pay the water bill, move to the right when we see emergency lights in the rearview mirror. We don't turn right on red. I've got an issue with that. Uh, don't park in a handicapped parking spot unless you have the decal. Like I could go on. Right? There's all kinds of things that we just do. We just get. In short, we do what is expected in our reasonably civilized society. And we are called to do our part regardless of whether or not the governing authorities do their part. For instance, when the governing authorities are the sword, as we witnessed in school shootings in Parkdale, Florida, and Uvalde, Texas, don't blame God. That is the failure of the sword bearer to do their job. So we look at the text and we say, hey, the, the sword bearer is there to bring judgment, punishment doesn't happen and we question God. Or when the governing authorities bring punishment to the do-gooder rather than the wrongdoer, don't blame God. That's the failure of the established authority to provide justice. And that established authority will to the righteous judge, the one with all authority. God may establish the authority but that does not mean that the authority will always do what God put them there to do. It's kind of like just you and I. We make choices. We decide whether or not what God has called us to do. We're going to decide whether or not to operate with justice or mercy or grace or judgment. The authority gets to choose those things too. I want to step back just for a moment into verse four for this one line. is God's servant for your good. So for those of you who fulfill this place, this space, if you're a governing authority, you're a teacher, you're a judge, you're a police officer, I have a word for you. Please remember that this is, you are the servant for for the good of others. That's how you ought to read this. You serve on behalf of God for the benefit of other people. It's not to advance your career, although your career can advance, but don't do it by stepping on someone else. Right? You're not there to advance your or make a name for yourself or advance your biases. Right? Your role is to serve God for the good of others. Thank you for fulfilling that role. I think especially with people in law enforcement, it's really hard. You have a really difficult and thankless job. Thank you for doing it. And anyone that fulfills this role, please do it 
integrity that God expects of you. So that then God can be honored, you can be honored, and we can live in peace and advance the gospel and do uh, just live in peace with all men. The one in authority is God's servant for your good. This is also why you pay taxes for the authority of servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, I'd like a little bit of congregational participation. And this, and to do this, you're good at that. Even though it's a video venue, you do a really good job of engaging. It's like you're saying like, preach it. And nobody can hear you here. Uh, but a little, because the, the, this will help answer the why do we do this? Because we're not called to pay our taxes if they manage the tax money. Because if, that, if we had an out for that, there would be no tax revenue. Okay. So I just, by a, by a show of hands, who does not like to pay their taxes? Okay, so well over half the room. I don't know, you guys at home, you, I don't know if you've got your hands up, but uh, no, of course we don't like especially when we see how it's used or not used or poorly managed or spent. Okay, now part two of our congregational participation. I'm going to ask a list of questions. And my ask for you is when, when the one applies to you, put your hand up and keep it up. Uh, you might need to do this over the next minute or so. And if you're a physical orthopedic surgeon, I might have some business for you when we're done. Okay. By a show of hands, who in the room today is grateful for a public school teacher or a, a coach, public school coach that had a positive impact on your life? Okay. Keep them up. Who's grateful for, say, a firefighter, a paramedic, a police officer rendered some aid for you or someone that you love? Who's grateful for bulk pickup day when they come and pick up all the crap you couldn't sell at a yard sale. How about for the guys that pick up the trash at my place? It's every Monday. Who's grateful for the code inspector who made sure the house you just bought? I'm not asking, keep that hand up. <laughs> I'm not asking if you're building or selling. I'm asking if you're buying. How about, are you grateful for the guys and gals at Parks and Rec, right? We've got kids' soccer leagues. You've got the senior softball thing going on. Uh, who's grateful for comes out of your tap in a practically unlimited supply? Think about this winter for those poor guys that drove the snow plows all night long, right? Up late at night. Who's grateful for bridges? Especially if you drive to Vegas, you just had 40 minutes cut off because you don't have to drive over the Hoover Dam because there's a bridge for roads, even roads with potholes. Okay. There's potholes because someone put pavement there. It could be dirt. Who's enjoyed the Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, Yellowstone, the Tetons, but you just can go through the list of national parks, right? Who's grateful for those? Okay. Keep them up. I'm not done. You've been in the military or worked for a municipality, a town, a city, a county, the state. How about the federal government or a government contractor? Okay, now everybody look around. Okay, we have more people who are grateful than people who, are great or who want to pay their taxes. Go ahead, you put them down now. Now, if we avoid paying our taxes, all those things go away. Now, the private sector might do that a better job for less or for higher quality, but that's not the situation we find ourselves in. So I would rather have the private sector do a lot of that. 
That's not it. So I'm going to pay my taxes. Now, that was fun. But like I promised, and I'm sure you've all been waiting with bated breath, we're going back to verse one, to our very, very offensive Bible verse. Let everyone be subject to the And we're going to do this, and I'm going to connect these with verses five and seven to be subject to the governing authorities, and therefore it is necessary to submit to the governing authorities. So we kind of have a synonym going on here, subjection and submission. Give to everyone what you owe them. We just tackle taxes, then respect, and if honor, then honor. We're going to talk about this because this is the linchpin of instruction for us. It's quite likely a struggle for most of us. But I think if we're honest with ourselves and with each other, we will do this gladly if it's our preferred party in power or if we're in agreement with whatever law was passed or executive action was signed. We will subject ourselves and give respect and honor when we are in agreement or if we like whoever it is that's the Oval Office or the governor's mansion or the mayor's chair at city council. If we don't like them or if we don't agree, we typically don't want to subject or submit and we certainly don't treat with honor or respect. The big issue comes up is what do we do when we disagree with the governing authorities? With when the empire tells us or commands us to do what God forbids or forbids us to do what God commands. What do we do then? What do you do as a surgeon and the government requires you to provide abortions or euthanasia or to treat patients with government insurance? Oh, you want TRICARE patients or you want Medicare patients or Medicaid patients, then you have to provide these services. If you don't provide these services, you can't, you, we won't pay you. You can't see those patients. What do you do if you're a school teacher? It's that you prioritize student privacy over informing parents of things that a parent should be informed of. And you as a parent would want to know so that you can raise your child and help them navigate difficult situations. How about the people who live just a few hours away in Southern Arizona at the border with Mexico? And they get a knock at the door. Someone crossed illegally and they need help. They need medical attention. They need food. They need water. They need something. What do they do? What do I do? I'm a pastor. And the government passes a law that I have to perform any and every way, regardless of my biblical objections or misgivings or my, as, the, as it says, the sincerely held religious beliefs. Too bad. You got to do it anyway. Some of you had to face this one. What do you do if you're drafted to fight a war? against the people with whom you have no quarrel, to honor Jesus' command to love your enemy, not kill them. Do we subject ourselves to the governing authorities in the face of these circumstances, when we're commanded to do what God forbids or forbidden to do what God commands? Do we subject ourselves? Yes, we do. And before you walk out, before you tune out, Please hear me out. Paul does not tell us to obey the governing authorities. To obey the governing authorities in the face of this would be sinful on our part. So how 
how do we submit ourselves yet not obey ourselves? Isn't that kind of the same things? Well, I'll start with two examples for you from the book of Daniel. This is like smack in the middle of your Bible. And the first one involves three Jewish men. Remember Babylon, I put up King Nebuchadnezzar there as one called by God. He's called by God, say, you're going to take my people into 70 years. They're going to be captive under your thumb because they have walked away from me. They have rejected me. So they're going with you. And in this chapter, in Daniel chapter three, we learn that these three men are commanded to do what God forbids, namely commit idolatry. Hey, when the music plays, worship the image of gold that I have set up. If you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, why don't you do this? All you got to do is yield. And here's what they tell him. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God will be able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. As the rest of the story goes, they get thrown and they are rescued. They are delivered so much so that when they come out, their clothes don't even smell like smoke. And you look at this conversation with the king and what do you see? You see honor and respect, your majesty, your majesty. You see subjection and submission what you're commanding me to do, but I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to argue with you. If you're going to, if I'm going to face judgment, then I'll face judgment. In the same book, we fast forward. Now the Persians are in power. Nebuchadnezzar is taken out. The Persians come in and there's King Darius is on the throne and Daniel is compelled to do, is forbidden to do what God commands and that's to worship him. Darius is like, look, you can't worship. There's only one king you can worship, one God, and, and that's me. You, you cannot go worship your God. So what is, in light of this edict, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. He didn't stop. I'm forbidden to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. And you know the rest of the story. Daniel was thrown for his indiscretion. And the lions didn't touch him. And then the men who set him up, they got thrown in the lion's den and they were attacked before they hit the ground. These men were subjective and submissive to the governing authorities and they were not obedient. Let me give you some more contemporary. If you consider mid 20th century contemporary, some of you do, it feels like last week. Think about Rosa Parks, Montgomery buses. Hey, Rosa, you're not the right color. You got to go sit in the back of the bus. Now, the seat's just fine. This seat sits my seat. Heck, I'm not going anywhere. You better go. You're going to go to jail. Take me to jail. I'm not getting up. I won't fight you. I won't argue with you, but I won't do what you say. So that's a catalyst in the civil rights movement. What do Martin Luther King Jr. and his contemporaries do when they come for their, to exercise? protected rights to peaceful assembly, they go to the church. They go to the church and they pray. And they pray that they would not repay evil for evil. And then they march with their signs and they want equal rights. And then they are met with evil in the face of water cannons and German shepherds. 
pay evil for evil. They get attacked, they get bitten, they get beaten, and they don't resist and they don't fight. Those are very different examples than the race riots of 1968 or the Los Angeles riots in 1990 or the, in the early 90s or the mostly peaceful 2020 or what we saw even on January 6th. Those first few are examples of straight up violence and towns are ravaged and neighborhoods destroyed. And one's just an example of vandalism and people just being obnoxious rather than being subjected to submissive and exercising peaceful civil We are to be subject to the governing authorities. We aren't required to obey the governing authorities. We're required to treat governing authorities with respect, to treat the empire with respect. So if you intend to follow Jesus in every area of your life, your social media discourse, reflect that in the things you say about who occupy the governing offices. Your resist sticker should come off your bumper sticker, off your bumper. That one's not as in vogue these days, but what about your let's go Brandon or, or not my president? Those don't show respect. They show contempt. We're called to show respect. Submit to authority, as Paul says, out of possible punishment and because of conscience. There's an even bigger reason to do so. And this was shared by a contemporary of Paul's guy named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's first 12 followers. And if you know Peter, he was a loudmouth. He was always saying stuff. He was always first. Peter even tried to rescue Jesus from being arrested. He tried to cut off the head of a Roman soldier and he missed. He got his ear. The guy ducked. And Peter in his natural self would not do what Paul has said to do. But we talked about Peter would not do this. But Peter was born again. And he urges us to do the same things that Paul expressed today. Peter wrote in a letter to followers, and this is what he said. He said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish and commend those who do right. This should sound familiar. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I would say that the actions of Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. did just that. Way different than riots. By doing what, by submitting and subjecting, they did silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. So we obey God and we honor the emperor. We subject to the emperor and the empire. And Jesus's followers, the people of the kingdom, heeded these instructions of both Peter and Paul. And what was the end result? Well, at the time of Jesus's death, there was about 150 followers, 150 Christians. At 100 AD, there were over 10,000. And by the year 300, there were 3 million followers of Jesus. And most of those people decided to follow Jesus in the face of terrible persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. Christians subjected themselves and their children to the empire. They subjected themselves to unspeakable evils when all they had to do was leave the kingdom of Jesus and declare Caesar as Lord and renounce Jesus as Lord. And then what did that accomplish? There's an early church document. It's not in your Bible. It was just circulated in the early 
uh, second century, I believe. It's called The Letter to Diognetius. And this unknown writer points out that the Christians are not distinguished by anything external, not by their language, their country of origin, their food, their clothing, nothing. It's by their life. This is what the letter says. They marry as they have children, but they do not commit infanticide. They invite strangers to their table, but not into their bed. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death. And gradually, and with what defies explanation, obedience to Jesus, Christian teaching, the hope of the gospel, Christian charity, it completely transformed the Roman Empire. It transformed the way neighbors treated the sick, the way parents treated their children, and the way husbands and wives loved each other. This was the fruit. This was the fruit of heeding Jesus' words. And what we read today, they surpassed the law by their lives. And what was the cost? What was the cost of being subject to the governing authorities, of submitting yourselves to every human authority? Well, we know it cost Peter and Paul their life. Paul was beheaded. He appealed to Caesar and he got beheaded. Peter was hung upside down on a cross. And it cost a lot of their life as they lived their life. They had a whole life. I want to close with this example of the first followers, Peter and the other apostles being among them, to demonstrate what it looks like to subject and submit yourselves to the authorities without obeying the authorities. This is Jesus died, resurrected, the church is going. These back in heaven or out up in heaven and they're preaching the gospel. And it says the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. These are the Jewish authorities, not the Roman authorities. And Peter and the apostles are subject to the, the, these authorities. The strict order is not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I love their answer. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human. They were commanded and ordered not to proclaim the gospel. So we're going to do it anyway. So they send these men, they send out the apostles and they're like, what do we do? They have a conversation. What do we do? We want to kill them. But if we kill them, there's going to be a riot. I have an idea. Let's just beat them within an inch of their life. Let's do that. Great idea. They came in and that's exactly what they did. They had the apostles flogged, which is a beating that would kill many, many people. And after they were flogged, what did the apostles do? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They didn't leave rejoicing because God kept them safe. They didn't leave rejoicing because they persuaded the, the follow Jesus. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy of suffering for Jesus. And I don't want to be inconvenienced in following Jesus. And day after day, they subjected themselves to the authorities and day after 
they obeyed God by doing what? By proclaiming the gospel that is for everyone. I dare say that we should all go and do likewise. God, thank you that you have given us your son. You have given us the example of his followers, uh, the, the example that followed you faithfully from the time you called Abraham thousands of years ago. And I pray that we would be stirred by your spirit, convicted by your word, and encouraged by your people to follow you faithfully, regardless of what obstacles or authorities might challenge that. People who are faithful to you all the time. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.